Welcome to Thinking Like a Lawyer with your hosts, Ellie Mistal and Joe Patrice, talking about legal news and pop culture, all while thinking like a lawyer, here on Legal Talk Network. Hello, welcome to another edition of Thinking Like a Lawyer. I'm Joe Patrice from Above the Law. With me, Ellie Mistal. It's beginning to look a lot like holiday season. That's right. That's fair. Uh, it is looking like holiday season. It's actually, you know, Hanukkah's in a couple of weeks, but... Hanukkah's you know, late this year. The White House has already done their Hanukkah party. I don't know if you saw <laughs> that. No, and somebody dug up eight years ago, Trump sent out a tweet blasting Obama for having the Hanukkah party two weeks early. There's always yeah, a tweet. It's really kind of incredible. There's but, always a tweet. But it is not, in fact, Hanukkah yet, nor is it Christmas, but it will be all of these, all these and more happy Saturnalia uh, for those of you who are still practicing Roman religion. <laughs> for those of you who have uh, hooked up with Mike Duncan, as we've told yeah. you about repeatedly, you'll know what that means. Um, but yes, Hanukkah is late this year, and I still haven't bought my uh, Christmas tree. Um, do you know Ooh, why? No. Because my house is oh, I a do know why. giant goddamn wreck. I do know why you haven't gotten it. I'm sorry to hear all this. So here's what I'm pissed off about today. And it's going to start off just like your normal home repair nightmare story, right? Fair enough. We had a plumbing clog clog over Thanksgiving that required us to bring in some plumbers who found out that it was a deeper problem. Turns out there was a tree root in my main sewage line. They fixed the pipe. When they fixed the pipe, they realized that we have this other problem with the floor. They start fixing the floor. They realize that we have mold under the floor. Like it's it's the it's the classic cascade failure of I had a you know couldn't had a toilet flushing problem on the Friday after Thanksgiving, and two weeks later I have no floor in my basement, and I need to hire a mold mitigation. So it's it's that kind of like classic yeah. story. However, here's where the legal angle comes in, because as usual, when it comes to the insurance company, their idea is that their job is to screw you. It's It's not that you've been paying for this insurance your whole life, and now when there's finally a problem, now it's their job to help. No, no, no. Their job, they think, is to make sure that they don't have to pay you a cent or as little as possible for the, yep. despite the fact you've been, right, so so we're on the phone. You know, of course, you have to take time off work. I've had to take time off work. My wife's had to take time off work. For those playing along at home, my wife is the one who knows things uh, and handles uh, business uh, issues in our house. Um, so she's had to take time off work. And so we are, we are now, she is now calling the insurance company who is trying to argue that our policy, which covers water damage in the basement in the event of a plumbing backup doesn't cover mold in in this weird way of like, well, what do you think happens when water touches? Like, what do you think that was going to, right? So we're kind of going back and forth about like how, all right, you know, trying to make sure that we get as much coverage as possible. They're trying to argue that since we had mold, they won't cover the floor that had to be pulled up anyway because of the plumbing damage, right? right? So that somehow the mold, not just that they won't cover the mold remediation, but the mold obvi- actually obviates them from any responsibility whatsoever. Mm-hmm. And my wife, in her very kind of like professional, uh, calm, um, yet very strident way, is disagreeing with this insurance woman. But the misfortune that my wife has is that I happen to be listening on the phone. And at some point, 
I just started saying very loudly, put her on speaker. Put her on speaker. Put her on speaker. And so she finally puts her on speakers. And I say, ma'am, what is your name? And the lady says, I told your wife my name already. I'm like, yes, but you haven't told me what is your name. And she's like, well, why is it so important all of a sudden? And I go, because I need to know who to name in my lawsuit. It is going to be State Farm and you. And you, and I just, I have to go, I went full like, I will sue State Farm out of fucking spite at this point. Yeah. And I'm just enough of a lawyer and just enough of a, have enough, just enough of a platform to like make that problematic for you people. Before she was even willing to like realize that the person she really wanted to be talking to was my wife. Yeah. Right? Yeah, that's what's valuable. It is, it, it's the classic. Yeah. So <clears throat> we're back into the, yes, they'll pay for the floor. No, they won't play for them. But like the neat, and I think a lot of lawyers have probably seen this in their own home improvement situations, in their own, you know, if you ever had to deal with movers or whatever, there are some general class of people who will simply not respect you and try to completely screw you over until you start threatening lawsuits, even though you know as the actual lawyer, that your suit would be... Probably going to lose. W- was probably going to lose, right? Yeah. But they don't know that, and you have to like go to the mattresses to actually start threatening to harass them with probably frivolous litigation. And as we, as we learned this week, if you haven't been reading Above the Law, which you should be reading Above the Law if you're listening to this, but as we learned this week from Above the Law, if you're trying to sue somebody, like in their case, Allstate, I believe, it's important that your lawyer tell the other side that they can eat a bowl of dicks. <laughs> uh, that's a one of the prime big stories of last week is a small firm lawyer who was representing people against an insurance company who um, said a lot of things. <laughs> eat a bowl of dicks was just one of many exciting things that he said in the course of the litigation. And he's now facing a possible sanction. So I did not tell the state farm lady to eat a bowl of dicks. Fair enough. I, See, I, I have, and there's your and and this this is why you fail. <laughs> that would have gotten the mold, I'm sure of it. So anyway, uh, this is a good time for us to uh, talk about getting paid. So here we go. Today's episode is brought to you by your goldfish, who's very mad at you and thinking about picking up his castle and moving away, all because you're still at the office slogging through an endless doc review project. Make better decisions, keep your pet, and work smarter with logical e-discovery software that gets you started in minutes. Scale up your practice. Oh, God. Create your free account today at logical.com forward slash ATL. That's logic with a K, C-U-L-L dot com forward slash A-T-L. Do you own like an animal pun book? I don't, but oh my, if anybody's looking for something that would make this a lot easier, because uh, I, I had to take like five or six minutes to really think through what I could do with different animals. Yeah, no, that would actually make it a lot easier. You're getting me to the point where I'm almost impressed. But I, in Does that fairness, sense, sense? Yes. Yeah. I am, you were getting me to where I am not, so I'm not quite impressed yet, but I am now being beaten into almost being impressed. It's fair to be impressed and still wonder why I don't use this for the forces of good. <laughs> I think that's a perfectly acceptable place for you to be. Uh, so what we want to talk about today is another big story that's kind of been looming over the end of year. Uh, we've been pretty busy here, so we haven't talked a ton about it on this podcast. But 
bonuses. I can't believe that we have not done a podcast on bonuses yet. We, we've had a lot to talk about for the last couple of months. And bonuses blindsided us this year. So bonuses came early. Uh, for those of you who are already in the legal industry, you know all about this. For those of you who are uh, not, the big firms give people bonuses at the end of the year. It is part of the grand holiday tradition. And bonuses usually are announced well, in a very particularized way, at a very particularized time, and that didn't happen this year and caught a lot of us flat-footed. Yeah, a good two or three weeks early this year, and here's why. When we have early bonuses, what that means is that there are firms trying to set the market usually at a lower rate than they are capable of setting it, right? So you have a firm trying to say, look, 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 we're just going to do – the same bonuses as last year, and everybody's going to be cool with that, right? And that's what an early bonus is. For people who are not, again, as Joe was saying, not part, uh, are not already part of the big law industry, one of the really weird and somewhat difficult to explain features of the big law market is that not only do all these firms give bonuses, all these firms give, for the most part, the same bonus. Correct. The same first-year bonus, the same bonus tied to class year now, as you get Lower down the scale, you'll get some some squonkiness in terms of hours requirement. Um, depending on as you get lower down the the profitability scale, you'll get squonkiness in terms of uh, whether or not the top end bonus um, is lockstep. So like the bonus for an eighth or ninth year associate, whether or not that's lockstep across the industry. But the bonuses for kind of years one through five, generally around eighteen hundred to twenty one hundred hours, are going to be the exact same across 100 firms, 150 firms. And they're going to be the exact same. This is not. This is new over our time and above the law. They're going to be the exact same regardless of market. It used to be, was a time where the bonus for the New York office of a firm would be a little bit more than the, than the bonus for the yeah. Chicago office of a firm or the D.C. office of a firm. Yeah. That's gone away. So yeah. basically, again, if you're living in New York, you're just just stupid. You're just losing money because you're getting the same for, you're getting the same salary and now the same bonus, despite living in a much more expensive market. But the point is, is that you release these bonuses early in an attempt to set the market and not have it overtop you in some way. And certainly, that's been the case before. I don't think that's what was going on here, but I but for other extraneous reasons, that is certainly what's happened in the past. And in the past, what's then happened is the usual market maker, which is Cravath, will probably squash the first mover and go over the top and force everybody to reverse themselves. That's not what happened mm -hmm. here. So this year, it is bonus Bonuses were led by Milmake, mm -hmm. uh, which made, as I've been calling them, same bank bonus, which means the exact same bonus this year as people got last year. Yeah, I actually think the the Milbank thing is not in any way involved with trying to limit it. I think what the Milbank discussion is about is an extenuation of what happened over last summer. Last summer, Milbank gave everybody a raise. I don't know if everyone remembers this, but they decided we're going to give everybody, all of our associates raises, which set off a fury of everybody scrambling to match Milbank being more generous than the rest of the market. I think Milbank was very much intending this to be part of a recruiting pitch. Look at us. We're the ones who led the market in doing this. We have all this money and we're willing to share it. Unfortunately for them, Cravath decided, well, we agree with you at the bottom of that scale, but we're going to futz with it in the middle. And what it resulted in is everybody changed – when everyone matched what Cravath did, everyone changing the description of it to everyone's matching Cravath's scale. 
And I think Milbank feels they missed out on that, hey, we're the people who move the market to. I think what happened here is they wanted to be first no matter what, not because they wanted to set it at any particular point. Honestly, I think they looked at the market and said, Cravath is going to do the same thing as last year. Therefore, we want it to be Milbank's bonuses, not Cravath's bonuses. I think this is very much a PR move. And in a lot of ways, I think that's savvy. I mean, it's hard to get it's hard to get attention in this in this area because of Cravath. So I think they they wanted that. And lo and behold, they were entirely right. Cravath who you know sits on top of a mint decided they <laughs> could not in fact go over the top of what what Milbank announced and so we are calling it rightly the Milbank bonus. Why do you think the bonuses were the same this year as last year like market wise? Well, it, so we track the City Private Bank puts out a report on what's going on in the legal industry. Their most recent one just came out uh yesterday actually. And it's for the last about eight quarters said about, or, or maybe even more at this point, said the same thing every quarter. Revenues are up big, but only because we're raising rates. Demand is, you know, okay. It's not. It's terrible. <laughs> and collection cycles are long because they can't get paid. So, they, so you'll bill $100,000 of work and send your bill and your client, you know, the shady operations like, Citibank will sit there and go, uh, what? Uh, we we didn't pay the phone bill this month. We didn't hear. I, we must have been lost. Uh, so they're not paying. In any way, it's a it's just kind of a bad time for law firms, but not terrible. I mean, there could obviously be worse. They're still making more money because clients still continue to pay more for the same services. But, you know, the fundamentals haven't changed particularly. And indeed, when Milbank made the raises last year, and everybody said, ooh, Milbeck's making raises. One thing I pointed out was, not really. They, the amount that they raised it was basically a cost of living adjustment since the previous raise. Right. So I think what, what's going on here is it's the same bonuses because nothing particularly has changed well, in the fundamentals of the finances since last year. I think you're right at a macro level. At a micro level, mm-hmm. associates are seeing that firms are making more money than they did last year, and they're getting the same bonus. Right. And, and I think people see that, but – it's really important to understand that it's something like revenues are up 5.5% and then the number will be 5.4% of it is due to fee increases. When you're only making more money by testing the limits to which your clients are going to spend more for the exact same product, that's not a place where you really want to be sitting. I understand that. But again, from the perspective of the associate, you're telling them that the firm is charging more for their services, Mm -hmm. but not paying more for their work. They're charging slightly more, yeah. But I mean, we're talking in fairly tiny amounts all all in. Uh, And this is where, you know, you An extra $5,000 kicker would have been inappropriate? You do then start entering questions about whether or not this is an, a question for we should be giving more to everybody or this is where we should give money to the people who actually make money. Because, yes, fees are going up, but also tons of first and second year work is being written off, right? So the place where this money is actually being made is in fee increases at the seventh and eighth year. And these are also the sorts of places where these firms often give special handouts to people who – did well, you know, did exemplary at that level, and they have flexibility there. So I think the the actual source of where a lot of that revenue is coming from, those folks are getting some some handout here. There's also been an increase in expenses. Obviously, revenues have outpaced expenses, but expenses have gone up. 
for those who are in New York, rent isn't cheap. Uh, leases, mm-hmm. leases are up. Uh, you know, tech is now more prolific and is up. Having more people work, uh, like in staff, admin. Well, one of the things that I wrote an article about this week is when speaking about the collection problem, about how firms do all this work and can't get their money. One of the issues there is that the in-house counsel are writing individualized for each each company is writing their individualized all bills have to look like this for us or we're just going to reject it and ask you to resubmit yeah and it's just a and most of it is arcane rules that are clearly designed to be onerous and and avoid getting uh getting paid but that sort of stuff's going on and what does that require well there's a few things one it could require a tech solution that takes care of that which is what i was writing about but for a lot of firms who haven't yet embrace that tech solution, it's involved hiring more admins to do the work of going through everything and making it conform to 300 different guidelines. And these these sorts of expenses eat into those revenue increases. Uh, you can't really you can't really embrace the top line without understanding that there's there's stuff underneath. So I feel bad for those folks, but you know, looking at a recession coming up, uh, I think bonuses are going to be could very well be less if not next year, the year after. So we're not in the world's worst place. Well, that was going to be my next question. So bonuses being flat year over year um, is one thing's one thing given where we are in the current economy. When the recession hits, mm-hmm. you'll kiss your mother to keep bonuses flat. Yeah. Do you think that kind of pre-recession planning played a role in these bonuses at all? I mean, the, the firms will say no, but yeah. One other factor of that city survey was that when they – the Citibank says there's not going to be a recession because that's what Citibank sort of shit banks says. say. Uh, but they said that of the respondents, most of the law firm leaders believed there would be one next year. And an even larger majority said there would definitely one, be one by, the, by 2021. Right. So this is the point where they start baking that in. And we're already seeing hiring start to slow down. Um, uh, yeah, sort of. Lateral market still remains hot. Blah blah blah. Super hot. Yeah, you know, we're we're seeing we're seeing uh, the two L hiring flatten out. True. Now now part of that though could be, and this is the thing that we've talked about on this show in the last couple of weeks. Part of that also though is just that you don't need that many people anymore. Well, this, uh, that, is, this is the robots coming to take people. Jobs. Yeah, I mean you don't need. 500 people to review documents anymore. Uh, you don't need a bunch of people to go to a warehouse to do due diligence anymore. Uh, these things are starting to get get streamlined and automated, and that is one big part of why they aren't hiring much. I guess what I'm trying to get at, though, like overall, you're talking about a hiring flattening. You're talking mm-hmm. about bonuses being flat. Do you think that big law is prepared or better prepared for the coming recession than they were in 2008, 2009. I'd like to think so because it feels to me from just monitoring the market that one, while other people like Citibank are still cautiously optimistic, law firms seem pessimistic. That's a good sign for their preparedness. Uh, It seems to me just from monitoring the lateral market that restructuring and bankruptcy and other counter cyclical jobs are high priorities for a lot of firms. And that also includes things you may not think of as counter-cyclical, but certain transactional practices, M&A, so on and so forth, those also are doing pretty well in those markets. And you would think that's that, that wouldn't be what does well. But the, one, the 
at least at the beginning of a financial downturn, one of the things that happens is big players swallow little players because mm-hmm. now there's some stress and they can right. they can afford it. So that's going to kick up a little bit, at least at first, before everybody starts uh, tightening the belt. I think you're right insofar as in, in two critical ways. Yeah. One, I do not think this uh, same bank bonus was a direct reaction to the coming recession. Uh-huh. I think it was a overall reaction to just where the economy is right mm-hmm. now. Um, but two, because you've seen this like flatness in hiring and because you see this pessimism emanating from big law, I do think that they almost must be more prepared for the next recession because they're at least thinking about it. Yeah. I think that if you roll the tape back to 2007, nobody was thinking about it. We were still in this kind of like, the markets can only go up now because we've reached new some like new plateau of like economic understanding. Like there were very few firms in circa 20, 2007 who were, even had a the potential of a massive economic slowdown like on their radar. I mean, they were over hiring. They weren't dealing with tech changing the nature of the business. They weren't dealing with clients demanding alternative fee solutions. Oh, yeah. And were caught, I think, largely flat-footed when Bear Stearns collapsed. Right. Well, and I mean, this is, of course, why movies and books and movies like The Big Short were popular, right? Literally nobody was seeing these trends coming. They were like, 10 dudes in a random rented office who saw what was happening and nobody else. Uh, so yes, they were, they did not know and nor did their clients and that caused a problem. And you're right about the alternative fee arrangements and stuff like that. Like it, those were in their infancy then. They're still, they're gaining traction in certain practice areas, but they're still largely in their infancy. But you reach a point where people don't have any cash on hand and that's when they're going to start saying we would prefer if you paid us this way. And Law firms experience recessions in a bit of a lag, right? We're, you were here. Exactly. Uh, I wasn't reporting on it. I was a lawyer at the time, but you lived it. I lived it, but <laughs> uh, I mean, I didn't. I didn't lose my job or anything. But, but you were reporting on it, and it was like 2009 was the great layoff. Yes, exactly. And for those keeping score at home, that was 18 months or so into the recession. Right. Uh, and there's a reason: is that law firms are a bit of a lagging indicator on that because in the initial downturn, there's a lot of money to be made. There are these M&A opportunities that come up. There are a lot of white collar and regulatory issues that come up. It's only there's when a, the- there's, there's restructuring that comes up uh, and there's well, and there's litigation that comes up. See, I, I was gonna I was gonna hold restructuring. That, you're right though, that, but that one's gonna stay consistent throughout it. There's a lot of money everywhere at the beginning. And then like 18 months in, a lot of that's filtered through the system, and then is the bankruptcy people's time to shine because they're now <laughs> the only ones still making money uh, because everyone's bought who they want to buy, and now they're they're good till this turns around. The white collar has decided that we've, we're not going to punish people because why would we punish rich people? Uh, so they've all shut down. Regulators have now been taken over by lobbyists, so they shut down, and now we're back to just bankruptcy. The other reason why I think big law, especially law in general – and big law especially, are lagging indicators of the recession. Um, do, do not feel the pain until it has really metastasized through the larger economy um, to a very serious degree, is because of the backwards, crazy, stupid big law hiring model where you're hiring two years out, right? So you're hire- So like your class that you have to fire in 2009 was hired 
in 2007. And so mm-hmm. you, the overabundance of, of just people doesn't hit you all at once. It hits you because you've made these commitments to these classes years and years before that now when they show up in the middle of a recession, when only bankruptcy is making money, there's no work for them. Yeah, um, right. if, if Big Law had a kind of smarter hiring model, they wouldn't constantly have this problem. But they're all, But Big Law is almost always going to have the problem of hiring people two years out who then show up to work when there's no work during the teeth of a of a slowdown or a recession. Yeah. No, absolutely. Yeah. And I think – and that's what I'm saying. So I, I notice the flatness of the hiring as like a potential sign that Big Law isn't going to wreck itself quite as hard as it did in 2009. It's still good. Look, there's still going to be some pain. People are going to still be laid off. Salaries and bonuses are going to be flat, if not go down. Like, there's there's always going to be some pain. But last time, redirected the careers of a generation of lawyers. The The hope is that next time won't. Exactly. Yeah. It's going to be interesting. It, you know, it does depend on severity and stuff like that, too. They're, as bad as things may get, the last one was... Yeah. One final thing on bonuses, just because, again, we haven't actually done a show about this, yep. I want to give listeners a chance to hear what I've heard from you and what I've read from you a lot. It's one of, I think, your your signature great points. Why the fuck is DLA Piper giving the same bonus as Cravath? Like, why the hell? And I not, not to pick on DLA, I pick on DLA Piper because I can, but, you know, I'm not trying to pick on, not to pick on any one particular firm, but why are firms... That are not Cravath, that are not Skadden, that are not these, you know, as you put it, sitting on a mint kind of firms. Why are they paying the same lockstep bonus as these other firms that are sitting on a mint? There's a few ways to to tackle that. And then there are firms that probably shouldn't be paying the same bonuses. That's it. Uh, and there's definitely some offices that shouldn't because. <sighs> why? But why right. are they doing that? I mean, I think the argument is uh, – the argument for the offices I'll, – I'll take them in reverse order. The argument for offices and why somebody in Dallas makes the same amount of money as somebody in New York despite the fact that the cost of living is like half, that's happening because those Dallas offices and in particular the Dallas firms there, which are dragging the, the offices, the branch offices into it, the Dallas firms are saying – we feel we do good enough money and offer a good enough career that we can now compete and roll into Harvard, NYU, Chicago, and say, come down to Texas. Uh, a lot of folks going to those places are originally from Texas. And when you're in a position to say, not only is the cost of living less, but you can get paid the same, that helps. And when we talk about, you know, you say they, they don't have to do that, but what are the differences? Uh, 10, 15 grand per person in lawyer terms, not a huge difference. Uh, so it's cheap for them to make a huge inroad into somebody's ability to, you know, into recruiting, you know? So I think that's the value for these cities, uh, and that drives a lot of it. For the firms, DLA Piper's an interesting one. DLA Piper, Denton's, these sorts of firms, I feel, are... These global mega yeah. firms that yeah. have so many people, yeah, and even so, even if when you adjust for the fact that maybe one doesn't have the profitability of, of a Cravath, just the raw cash that you have get, have to give out to your five hundred associates as opposed to your two hundred associates, like what what are you doing? I mean, the issue is they they just make that amount of money, and I think it's also a recruiting play for them. It 
See, DLA and Dentons are the ones that I think of who are in a tier of we have a ton of money. We may not be as prestigious as Cravath, but we can throw money around and maybe someday we will be. Uh, I think they're following <laughs> and I, it, that sounds bad, but I don't I don't mean it that way. I think it, in some ways it follows the model that say a Kirkland did several years ago or a Latham firms that were good, big, but mm, like. In 1990, you would have been like, Kirkland? Oh, that weird Chicago firm? You wouldn't have thought of that, but they got big, huge, had a lot of money, then started throwing that money around, and now look at them. Uh, I think Latham's another one. Obviously a very old firm, but a firm that you didn't see on a certain tier until recently, and now they have so much money, they're on that tier. And so I think those sorts of firms are paying the same because they don't want to fall behind in the recruiting race because they're of the mind that... We may not get the top law review person today, but we could tomorrow, and we would prefer not to be behind the eight ball. That said, you're absolutely right that there is a string of regional-ish firms that are never going to make anywhere and have shown no signs that they want to, frankly. They they look like they're pretty happy doing exactly what they do. They, I have no idea why they're doing it, because if they aren't making a play to get bigger and better, I don't know why you join. Yeah, it just it. Look, as we are coming up on another recession, it just feels like putting yourself under any kind of financial stress just to keep up with Cravath so that you can get the C plus student at Harvard. Right. That's not even a good lawyer. Yeah, like, I'm, like, it just, it just, like, yes, you get your Harvard, you get your pound of flesh from Harvard and Stanford and whatever. But like, you're getting, you're getting the mid tier candidates at your firm, and you're blowing up your entire salary structure to do it. Like, I, I just. But that's the thing. The, the big globals, though, they're fine. They have the amount of money to spend, and you know, they they were getting C pluses at Harvard, and now they're in a position to get a B at Harvard, especially if it's somebody who's willing to move somewhere and like. We have an office in Peru. Uh, are you willing to go? Like that sort of that sort of world, if they need to compete in it. And it's also true, at least with some of those firms, uh, not specifically, I guess Denton specifically, maybe DLA. I, I don't remember. But all these Varine sorts of organizations, <laughs> they, they operate in a, situ- in a world where the offices themselves are so independent and run by their own people that – it's somewhat unfair sometimes. Like I, I think of, I think of Baker McKenzie. Uh, they have a profits per partner number that is, you know, go- great, but not as good as some other firms. But you know, that's because it's averaged across the profits per partner of the eight billion partners they have around the world. <laughs> if you limit it to the U.S. partners, they make a lot more money, and they are a lot more competitive in the U.S. to those top-tier firms that we think of as the top of things when you limit it out like that. So it's interesting. But that, I think they are competing because they want to get to a place. But, you're, but yeah, people who aren't showing any signs, they, then it's okay. It's okay to have a second tier. Yeah. And again, we're, not, we're talking about fundamentally quite a lot of money. Yeah. So I don't know. I would close with saying, like, I do feel the kind of general associate grumbling Mm-hmm. Over this year's same bank bonuses, but like I look at these tea leaves, and maybe it's just maybe I'm just scarred because I lived through it before. But like I look at these tea leaves, and I'm just like, man, it's about to get so much worse. Yeah, we're we're, we're gonna love these same bank bonuses if they're still making them in 2021 with what's likely to be happening. Yeah, yeah. 
So that's our discussion of bonuses. Uh, we will chat with you next week. In the meantime, you should be reading Above the Laws. We've already discussed. You should be subscribed to this show. You should be giving it reviews, not just stars, but writing something. You should be following us on Twitter. I'm at Joseph Patrice. He's at L-E-N-Y-C. You should be listening to The Jabot, which is Catherine Rubino's podcast. You should also listen to the other offerings of the Legal Talk Network. Uh, thank you to Logical for sponsoring. And with all of that, I think we're good. Peace. And good luck on your floor, I guess. God, yeah. thank you. If you'd like more information about what you've heard today, please visit LegalTalkNetwork.com. You can also find us at AboveTheLaw.com, ATLRedline.com, iTunes, RSS, Twitter, and Facebook. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer.